You see this picture that I have up here? Now, some of you guys might know what this picture is, and rightly so. Don't don't share it yet. But uh, this was Friday morning um, at breakfast. I was going to meet somebody for breakfast on Friday morning, and and as I got out at Der Dutchman, uh, I looked up in the cl- up in the sky, and I saw this cloud. I'm going, well, that's kind of interesting. And and then I I looked up above me, and there were other clouds in the sky. But they were dark. And I'm looking out there and I'm going, that doesn't make sense. This cloud is, is, is light. In fact, if you kind of look down here, you can see that this uh, guy blowing you know, the, the parking lot out here, he's, he's calling out to another fellow over here. He's going, dude, look at this. This is, this is weird. I've never seen this before. I'm standing there outside my truck going, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. What? What is this lighted cloud? I mean, it's like there was, a, there was an electrical switch inside just that cloud. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh my goodness, it looks like an angel blowing a horn. I, I'm, I'm going, I think that this is, is this an angel blowing its horn? I'm thinking this is an angel, you know, blowing its horn. I'm going, I'm not hearing it. <laughs> Lord, Lord, hey, hey. Hey, let me hear. Let me hear. And I'm sitting there in the parking lot and I'm going, these guys don't even know what's going on, man. I think that the rapture's about to happen right now. I'm thinking, wow, my heart started beating fast. Starts beating fast. Now, more people started showing up because 6.30 in the morning at Der Dutchman, even though they say they open at 7, uh, they, they lie to you. They actually open at 6.30, but you've got to go through the back door, okay? Um, so... But that's back there where everybody, I mean, that's where the old codgers are, man. And and you go back in there and they're just back in there and they're just having a great time. But everybody's getting out and they're looking up there. And we're all sitting there going, what in the world is that? And I know that, you know, I sat there for a while and it began to dissipate. And I'm going, I know that the Lord says he's going to come in the clouds. And with with a voice of an archangel, with a trump of God. And did I miss it? better go in and have breakfast. Yeah. I'm walking in, I'm walking in, and I'm just going, oh no, oh wow. Then surely, I'm convincing myself that that was just a cloud. I don't understand the cloud. There's none of us, there, none of us knew while we were there, we were going, how is it that a, one cloud could light up and no other clouds could? And so they, we were, that was the topic of discussion back there in that back room amongst all the old codgers and myself. Uh, I'm not an old codger yet, all right? I'm getting there, but, I, but we're talking amongst ourselves and everything. And I, I get on, you know, line and I, I begin to go, does Cape Canaveral, did they send off a rocket today? And sure enough, there was a Titan V rocket that, or an Atlas V rocket that went off and shot a, a Mexican satellite into space that is going to help with their communications as well as some um, national security issues there with... Uh, uh, Mexico, but but it was shot off, and, and and as you can see, this is actually the the tail of the of the rocket right here going off into space, um, which I didn't know at the time until another one of the fellows go, yeah, I just took a series of these pictures, and so he took all these pictures, and and I see this red, you know, flame going out into outer space and what have you, but but uh, we all began to talk about it and what have you, but. 
what was amazing is that still it's still kind of hard to understand. The thing was is that that this went up and 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 this was all squiggly um, long before. This is about 6:30. Um, and 627, somewhere around there, and the rocket actually went up at 609. So this is quite a distance, quite a time after. I know that there's been, some of you guys have seen pictures online where the squiggly line, where it all went up in the air, but that's what I saw. And I'm thinking, rapture, rapture, rapture. And here's the thing. We're that close to the rapture. It wouldn't have surprised me if that was the day. It really wouldn't surprise me if that was the day. What bummed me out is that I wasn't with them. <laughs> and I'm going, surely it's not the rapture. It can't be the rapture. It can't be the rapture. And so we all talked about it, and we joked around about it. In there. Most of the guys that are in there, about 95% of the guys in there are believers, and we all, the topic of rapture came up, and we all started talking about the rapture in there, so it was pretty cool. Um, so be that as it may, my heart was beating very, very quickly on Friday. And... Uh, <laughs> the problem is is that there will be some that there are going to be a lot of people gone and they're going to go ah, I'm not gone so it must not have gone and there's going to be I think many that will be left behind and they're going to wonder um, you know Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 7 he says many are going to come to me in that day and they're going to say Lord Lord didn't I cast out many demons in your name didn't I, didn't I do many mighty things in your name and yet here I am I'm on the outside looking in and Jesus is going to declare to them in that day, depart from me, I never knew you. And, and it's at that time, I think, that, that all of a sudden the realization of those who played church, those who played with a relationship with God and never really, truly accepted him into their heart as their Lord and Savior. They may have gone to church their whole life, but that's not the, that's not the, the parameters and, and the, the qualifier of whether you're going to go to heaven or not, whether you go to church all the time or not. That's not it. It's not even reading your Bible. You know, it doesn't say, read your Bible and you will go to heaven. You know, it has nothing to do with those things. Those are just byproducts of what happens when you accept Christ into your heart. And there are those that are going to miss out because they don't have a true. But I think I just died. Um, I don't know. I know. So. That's right. That's right. And so here's the thing, guys. Um, we're at the doors, at the very doors. Uh, the Bible talks about in Ezekiel chapter 39. I don't have time to get into all this today because I've got a whole other study that I was supposed to teach last week that I didn't get into, but I'm going to teach it this week and I'm going to get through it. But just very quickly, you know, there are those that you know you just have to look over the Middle East and know that things are heating up very, very, very much. Russia has soldiers' boots on the ground just north and uh, and uh, east of uh, of. Uh, Israel. I was doing my little direction in my head. Okay, is it east or west? It's, it's east. Um, they're in Syria. If you read about in Ezekiel chapter 39, you know that you're going to find that Russia is going to come down and attack Israel from the north. Well, they don't even have to come all the way from Moscow. They've got boots on the ground right now in Syria. Not only that, but now we have Persia's troops now on the ground in Syria also. Uh, 
Persia is modern-day Iran. And so we've got Iran, Russia, and Syria, all that have been professed and uh, prophesied, I should say, that would come and attack Israel in that day. And here we have them in a binding agreement, if you will, where they are all together and they're working one with another. The United States, where we in the midst of this, we are being told to leave Syria, don't fly. Uh, Russia saying, you know, we aren't going to bear any responsibility if we happen to shoot down any of your planes or take out any of your people. But we're fighting ISIS, of which the United States says there's no ISIS in those areas where they're bombing. It's actually the the U.S.-backed Syrian rebels trying to uproot Assad from uh, uh, Syria that they're going after. In other words, they're trying to take out our power over there. And uh, Russia has become very, very uh, bold in its flexing its muscles over the past few months as they have uh, taunted and teased us in the United States uh, up in the uh, in the uh, uh, upper what's the what's the little uh, bay area up there or the the trench up there if you will up outside of uh, Alaska that's called the can't remember somebody would know that I thought the Bering Strait the Bering Strait yeah the Bering Strait up there they're taunting um, our planes and Russia is flexing its muscle right now. For what purpose? Only the Lord knows. But one thing we do know is that the chess pieces are definitely being put in place right now. And Israel uh, is feeling like the United States has turned its back on them as well as all of the rest of the nation. Uh, All the rest of the nations in the world. Uh, Those of you who have been keeping up with any political... um, News recently, you'll notice that just uh, what two days ago, Benjamin Netanyahu addressed the the UN there in New York, a big meeting there, and he basically uh, shamed all of the nations, saying Iran is wanting to destroy my country and murder my people, and yet all of you in this room, bar none, remain silent. You think it's a good deal. I wonder if this deal was against if Russia or if, if Iran was saying the same things about you, your country, and your people, if you would still have the same sentiments on how wonderful this treaty is that has been shared by the United States. Israel is on its own right now, just like the Bible said it would be. They are in a place where they're being backed into a corner. And the Bible talks about how Russia will go in and attack. What's really interesting is that in the book of Ezekiel, um, unless you have a King James Version Bible in here, you, you would miss this. I always find that very peculiar, that that is missing out of all of the other translations. Uh, you can go back into the Hebrew and look at it and you can see that it's there. But it talks about when Russia or Magog comes down to attack Israel. 
the Lord will step in and he'll destroy their armies. And the Bible says that he will leave but a sixth part of Russia, Russia's military. If that's not being exacting, I don't know what is. I will leave but a sixth part of thee, Magog. Gog and Magog. And here, so here's the thing. Russia is set up. They don't like Israel. Iran obviously has made it very known, well known, what they want to do. They want to destroy Israel and wipe them out, completely and totally obliterate them. Syria hates Israel. Bashar Assad hates Israel. He hates the Jews. There is a, there's a battlefront being waged north of Israel right now. The Bible says it's going to happen. This is Ezekiel 39:40. So here, here's the thing. A few months ago, I told you, actually it was about a year ago, that Benjamin Netanyahu made himself available to go over and speak at uh, the prison camps, the, the extermination, Jewish extermination camps there in Auschwitz. And he spoke as a head of state saying, Ezekiel chapter 37 has been fulfilled. As far as I know it, I don't know that Benjamin Netanyahu is a Christian. He does believe the word of God. He's a Jew. And he does believe what the Bible says, obviously, as he articulates it. Ezekiel chapter 37 moves into Ezekiel chapter 38. In Ezekiel chapter 39, in Ezekiel 40. And that is the culmination of life as we know it here, whereas the landscape is going to change drastically in our world. Satan is doing a very, very good job in the United States in lulling us to sleep and making us feel fat, dumb, and happy that we have everything that we could possibly ever need and that we are, with, without fail, the most powerful nation in the world, which it's possible we are a power, but the military we have cut way back on, whereas China and Russia have both continued to press on aggressively to become very, very, very strong militarily. In fact, China and, and Russia both have, and I have this on uh, personal uh, uh, conversations with one of our nation's own and very best fighter pilots in this nation, an F-A-18 pilot, saying, We're, we don't even have the best equipment anymore. The airplanes that are out there that we have, this new F-35, it pales in comparison to China's new jet and Russia's new jet. And their pilots are constantly flying, whereas we, as fighter pilots, he says, I'm leaving, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of, the, out of the Navy because basically we're, we're becoming dangerous because our government has cut so far back on spending that fighter pilots are fighting to get more time in airplanes because the government has cut back so much on our spending 
that fighter pilots are only getting just a couple of hours a month to be proficient. And most of their stuff is being done inside of simulators. And so he says, we used to be a proud nation as saying that we have the best fighter pilots upon the nation, upon the, upon the face of the earth. That's not the case anymore. We don't get the opportunity to, to fly. We don't get the opportunity to become proficient. We fly very, very, very little. I don't say this to scare any of us. I say this just to say, when I see a picture like that in the sky and I know what's going on in the world, my heart skips a bit. Because you know what? It's coming. It's at the very doors. We are right there, guys. We are right there. And so if you're not ready, you need to get ready. You need to be aware that when things start going down, I hope and pray that you're right with the Lord. I really do. This isn't just some rhetoric that's being spoken of from a pulpit. This is what has been spoken for many years. And for many years, pastors were ridiculed from the pulpit saying things like these things were starting to you know, come to pass. Pastors were ridiculed back in the 40s when they said, hey, Israel has become a nation. The Bible says, Jesus said, that generation will not pass away until all of the end, all the culmination of the things that Jesus had proclaimed about in Matthew chapter 24 until all those things take place, which he's talking about not only the the end of of, of of time as we know it there, but then a seven-year tribulation coming in and then him coming back and setting up his kingdom upon the face of this earth. He says, listen, when Israel becomes a nation, when that, when that nation becomes, a, that root becomes a plant once again, begins to blossom, know this, that generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Now, that prompted some people to say, well, it was May 14th of 1948, so a generation is typically, if you look back in the book of Exodus, it was 40 years. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. And so many came out and said, well, for 40 years is what a generation is. The problem with that is, is that many people jumped on board and there were many books that were written. In fact, one of the bestsellers back in that time was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Because it was 40 years past the 1948 when Israel became a nation again. And, and so, pastors were ridiculed you know, for bringing things up like that. Well, it's because so many people began to put out dates and times of when these things were going to happen. Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour. But as a, as a, 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 a wayfaring, you know, shipman, you know, uh, can look at the sky and say, hey, it's going to be sunny tomorrow or it's going to be rainy tomorrow or there's going to be a storm. If you can discern the clouds in the sky... How is it that you can't discern the signs of the times? We are in the signs of the times. You know what? So what happened with that generation? How come it didn't happen in 1988? Well, I for one am very thankful, and I think some of you in this room are very, very thankful Jesus didn't come back in 1988. You're here, and you have a place in heaven 
because Jesus didn't come back in 1988. You came to know the Lord after that. So right now, you should be jumping for joy. There were two men that, that went and did not pass away in the wilderness. You remember who they were? Caleb who? And Caleb and Joshua, that's right. That generation hadn't yet passed away, even though nobody else got into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. That, they lived for quite a long time afterwards. So I don't know how long we have, but I really truly believe we're at the very doors, we're at the very cusp. The one thing that has kept so many people away from fighting against Israel and destroying Israel and wiping them off and pushing them off into the sea has kept all of the Middle Eastern nations away from Israel is one big bully called the United States. But now that we have removed our hand, Russia's flexing its muscle and saying, you know, don't fly in this neighboring country of Israel because we can't be responsible for any problems that happen. And we as a nation, do we have a backbone to go up against Russia? Do we really want another world war? Because that's a world war coming on. But Vladimir Putin is not afraid of that. I don't think that Vladimir Putin, I think Vladimir Putin is, 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 is playing hardball, and I think he's calling our government's bluff. But I think it's a precursor to where does our confidence lie? Where is our conviction here in our country? Are we willing to say, you know what? It's just too busy for us over there. It's too radical for us. We don't want to get into another war. Just do what you want to do, Russia. And we just back out. It kind of seems that's kind of where we kind of are right now in the way that we're treating Israel. All of that to say is, guys, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. That's what Jesus said. It could happen at any moment. Don't be found wanting. Jesus talked about it in that day. In that day, there are going to be some that are going to, they're, they're going to be ill-prepared. He likened it under ten virgins that were bridesmaids and, and they had a lamp and they never knew when the bridegroom was going to come. And so they had to be, this is just one of those you know, funky ways that, that the Jews used to get married. And that was, there was a wedding ceremony and it was going to happen, but you never knew when the bridegroom was going to show up. It was kind of the surprise. It was, the, it was a part of the excitement and the celebration of a wedding ceremony. But the bridegroom would show up when he had prepared fully the house for the bride. When he was finally done with what it was that he had prepared for his bride, he would then come in with all of his men. And they would come in and the party would start. The ceremony would happen. But nobody knew that day or that hour. They just said, hey, we've got a wedding celebration. And so people, this was the, listen, I think we really messed things up. Because people would be at this party. They'd be at this celebration waiting. It's not just one day. It's like for a, a, a period of time. Of weeks. You just never know. But then the bridegroom would come at an hour that no one expected him. Jesus says, there's ten, ten bridesmaids, there's ten virgin bridesmaids that they're the ones that are having a lamp lit and they're going to usher in this wedding ceremony. You've got to be ready. Your lamps need to be lit and they need to stay on the whole entire ceremony. Out of the ten... 
there were five that said, you know, the bridegroom is delaying his coming. He's not coming. Uh, Not tonight. But the other five bridesmaids, they looked at the lamp oil that they had in their lamps and they said, we're running out of oil. We've got to go and buy some more oil to bring it back here lest the bridegroom come and our lamps are not trimmed correctly and our, we don't have enough oil for the ceremony. And so being good stewards, they went and they bought more oil for themselves and they came back. And then the bridegroom showed up at an hour that nobody expected him. And as he began to usher in the, the ceremony, the lamps of the other bridesmaids, the five other bridesmaids that didn't go and get the oil. They weren't prepared. They were left outside of the ceremony. They were not allowed in. You might call that harsh, whatever it is, but Jesus used the illustration of what's going to happen in the days of the return of Jesus, of the return of the Son of Man. There will be those that are not ready. They've been invited The invitation is open, but they have not made themselves ready. And because they have not made themselves ready, they're on the outside looking in. We're on those days, guys. The bridegroom's on his way. You just don't know the day or the hour. But the geopolitical landscape in the Middle East and in the world is set. It's ready to go. We can continue to just go on as if nothing is going to change here in the United States and we can just act like nothing is going to go on. But it's the worst decision you'll ever make in your life. And it would be the most empty feeling you'll ever experience in your life also. I'm concerned for those who wait. Uh, I'm extending this because there's no way I'm going to get into Romans 15 tonight, today. And so I'm now extending it. I don't like to do this. But I think it's important for me to kind of keep us up, kind of where I feel we are. Listen, it might be hogwash to you and take it and go home with it and look it up yourself and see if what it is that I'm saying is not true. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) But in the midst of all of this, if you haven't made a decision for, for Christ, and you're like an old friend of mine that I shared much of this with, I was talking to him and sharing so many of these things, and he was going, you're going crazy, man, studying the Bible. This stuff isn't going to happen. Peter, he talks about it. Many are going to say, and all things have, begun, have, have gone on from the beginning. As our forefathers, everything is going on just as it always has. You all have been talking about this time coming, and it never has happened. So if it has never happened, well, then therefore, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. That would be the person who is that bridesmaid that didn't purchase the oil and be ready for the ceremony when the bridegroom comes. But as he, my friend, was saying to me, this is crazy talk, man, about the end times. And I shared with him what's going on, what the Bible talks about the end times, as I'm sharing with you right now. 
And his words to me were, listen, if, if that ever happens, then I'll do what it is that you're asking me to do. I'll receive Christ as my Savior. I'll do that. I'll repent and I'll do all the things that you're asking me to do now, but it's never going to happen. But if it does happen, I'll repent and I'll do that. How's that? And maybe that's your stance here. You've been coming to church for a long time and you never have really truly offered your heart to Christ. And you're, you're waiting. You kind of got this wait and see. I'm not going to jump in with both feet until I know whether or not this is true. Well, number one, that's a dangerous game of Russian roulette you're playing with or spiritual roulette because you never know when your time is up. You don't know if you're going to go out here and get T-boned before the day is up. But if you do and you're playing this game with God of playing a wait and see on whether or not these things are going to happen, you're playing a dangerous eternal game. But let's just say you are playing that game and you have an opportunity to see these things here at the end and then you'll change. Bible talks about in the end times where the rapture will happen. I believe the Bible talks about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Kevin talked about it you know, a few weeks ago. Revelation chapter 4 is a, I believe, a parallel passage with, with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be. The voice will descend from heaven in the clouds, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 4 how John realizing what was going on in heaven he says I heard a loud voice after these things I heard a loud voice in heaven and a trumpet of God and the loud voice says come up here I believe it's a parallel passage I believe it's the rapture of the church that happens at that time Paul talking about it in 2 Thessalonians he says listen there were those that were in the church back in that day, Paul was teaching these same things. And there were those back in the church in that day and they were saying, oh no, I think we missed it. Kind of like what I was saying here today when I saw that and I said, man, Lord, I didn't hear the trumpet and I didn't hear the voice. Ah, you know, my heart started skipping a little bit going, well, maybe it's going to happen now. Maybe it's going to happen now. Maybe all eyes can see it, you know, and, and, and then a voice and a trump is going to belt out. I don't know. But here's the thing. There were those that were going around saying, oh, it's already happened. The rapture has happened. It's already happened. Jesus has already come back. The rapture has happened. Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it was from us or through the, as if it was from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. Let no one, Paul said, deceive you by any means, for that day will not come for, come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. 
It's talking about how the Antichrist is going to be revealed. It's a parallel passage with an Old Testament passage there in Daniel chapter uh, 9, verses uh, 24 through 27 there, mostly in verse chapter uh, in, in verse 27, talking about this man of sin. Jesus talks about the same man of sin there in Matthew chapter 24. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, you go back into Daniel and you find out what the abomination of desolation is. It's the Antichrist. And an Antichrist is an instead of Christ. It's every He wants to be Christ. He wants to be viewed as Christ. He wants to be known as Christ. But he is the Antichrist. He is everything opposite of what Jesus Christ is. But he's going to be so magnanimous upon the face of this earth. I don't know if I even used the right word there because a, it's a really cool word, but I don't know if I just used it right. So, pardon me. He's going to be so powerful. He's going to be so exciting to listen to. He's going to be very charismatic. He's going to be, he's going to be uh, one that draws all attention to himself. Somebody's not going to like him, and they're going to try to expose him for who he is, and they're going to try to kill him. There's going to be an assassination attempt on his life. Daniel says, And a, and, a, and a sword is going to go through his eye. going to kill him. But he's going to rise again. It's going to be a weird thing that's going on. He's going to be assassinated before people's eyes. And then he's going to overcome that death. And he's going to stand up and he's going to say, Now, I am the only world leader that has been able to bring peace to Israel. Because that's exactly what he's going to do in the tribulation period. He's going to bring peace to Israel amongst all the nations of the world that are trying to come down on Israel. And in that seven-year period of time, middle of the middle of the of that seven-year period of time, three and a half years, he's going to go in, and something is going to be happening around this time where he is going to walk into the temple, and he's going to say, "Hey, everyone, you know how nobody else has been able to." produce this peace upon the face of the earth with Israel ever but I did Ezekiel chapter 39 40 talks about how the whole landscape on the temple mount will be divided to the Muslims and to the Jews and Israel will be able to rebuild their temple again and the one that's going to do it is none other than this political figure this charismatic political figure that is going to rise up from the UN somewhere don't know who he is. I believe he's upon the face of the earth right now. And he's going to broker a peace treaty and allow Israel to be, rebuild their temple. It'll be rebuilt. Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 says, even in troublesome times. They're going to rebuild the temple. And after the temple is rebuilt, and by the way, Israel to this day says we're ready to have a fully operational temple. They have been training their priests over there. They have found a red heifer. They believe that they have all of the contents and all the ingredients to reestablish a true working and operable temple that the Old Testament articulates. They're ready. Priests are ready. All of the ingredients are there. 
I know you've heard me say this before. Some will ask, well, you can't truly have a temple without the Ark of the Covenant. So do they have the Ark of the Covenant? I was over there back in 1992 and, or yeah, 92, 93. And, and I was a part of a group. We asked them, so obviously you, you've got the Ark of the Covenant. Said I, they said, we, I didn't say we have the Ark of the Covenant, but you said you have everything to operate a temple. Yes. Would you say that a temple needs the Ark of the Covenant in order to be operable? Well, of course. So you're saying that you have the Ark of the Covenant. I didn't say we had the Ark of the Covenant. So we did this kind of circular reasoning there. They won't admit to having the Ark of the Covenant, but they say they have every article that they need, every laver, every lampstand, every table, the table of showbread. They have everything that they need to reestablish a new and working temple. The Antichrist is going to come in and say, go ahead and build your temple. Now, back in that day, they said we can have a fully operational temple within three to six months, built and and operable. I don't know what they can do now. But in the middle of the three and a half year period, that Antichrist, who has brokered this peace treaty with Israel and allowed them to rebuild their temple, Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel chapter 40, where there's going to be a big wall that's going to separate on the top of the temple mount, the Jewish temple from the Dome of the Rock and the Mosque of Omar, there's going to be a big wall that's going to separate those two. The Bible says that. How can the Bible know these things if the Bible is just a myth of, you know, a, a book of myths? Everything is just laid out so articulate. But at the end of the three and a half year period, this charismatic political figure that the whole world is looking to because he has done something great. He's come up with some reason why the Christians are gone. What happened with the rapture? But at the end of the three and a half year period, in the middle of the tribulation period, seven year period, in the middle of the tribulation, he's going to walk into the temple area and he's going to walk past the priests and the priests are going, no, 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 you can't go in there. And he's going to continue to walk in and he's going to go past into the holy place and then walk past the the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. He's going to walk past that, that, that curtain and he's going to sit down upon the Ark of the Covenant and he's going to say, y'all know who I am? I am the Messiah. And it's at that moment that the eyes of the Jews are going to open up. It says the scales will fall off their eyes and they will rip their clothes and they will flee blasphemous and they'll flee bible says that they'll flee jesus says when that day happens matthew chapter 24 when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by daniel the prophet standing in the holy place where in the temple then don't go back to your house and get your coat pray that your flight is not pray that you're not uh is your flight is not in winter Pray that you're not pregnant in that day. Don't go up on your housetop to retrieve things that you think you're going to need in this time because persecution is coming down upon you. Jesus says, flee and flee quickly and flee into the area of Selah, which is modern day Petra. I'm not making it up. That's just what the Bible says. 
And so going back to what I was saying, maybe you're sitting here and going, well, if all these things take place, then I'll believe. I mean, if that charismatic leader comes up and gives an explanation where all the Christians are gone, and he goes and he he establishes a peace treaty with Israel for a seven-year period, um, and in three and a half years he goes and steps inside the temple, when I see that, I'll become a Christian. (laughs) Here's what Paul says about that. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. This is that rest of that first or second Thessalonians chapter two passage I was reading. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's the fulfillment of what it is that I said. He's going to walk into the temple. He's going to walk past the Holy of Holy Curtains. He's going to sit on the, t- on the Ark of the Covenant. And he's going to say, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I am the coming one. Now bow down and worship me. Paul goes on in verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. I believe that the thing that is restraining this one from coming on the scene, this Antichrist from coming on the scene, I'm convinced in my heart that it's the Holy Spirit's presence in the heart of believers. Because here's what happens. If he starts to make himself available and shows himself what he is, every Christian is going to say, you're it, you're the Antichrist. This is what the Bible says, you're the, you're the Antichrist, you're the Antichrist. And it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be all over the world. But if the rapture happens and the Christians are gone, who's going to be sitting here going, no, 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 you're the Antichrist? Well, no one. Because nobody believes this. Nobody, nobody adheres to the word of God. And if you do adhere to the word of God at that time, you are really going to be a crackpot. If you think it's, going to be hard, it's hard to be a Christian today, and you think you're going to be hand, able to handle in the tribulation period, you are a fool. Because in that day, it says that if you refuse to take the mark that this Antichrist is going to come on and require everyone to take on their forehead or on their hand, you're going to be beheaded. You're going to be killed. Now, just until recently, over the last year and a half, we haven't thought about beheadings. Beheadings, really beheadings, but now we see it on the news every single day. Could really mankind go back to those dark ages? We thought that we were beyond that, but now we don't, do we? Here's the thing. It's happening right before our eyes, guys. Jesus is going to come back. And if you're not ready, here's what Paul says. He says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. I believe that's, again... The Holy Spirit that is in us as Christians, when we're out, there's nothing holding him back from being exposed for who he is. Because the Christians are gone. They're in heaven. And when we're gone, he says in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then, when he who is restrained is taken out, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Eventually, he's going to do that. And then he goes on and he begins to articulate and give you a little bit of a narrative and a description of who this Antichrist and what he'll look like. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, 
with all power, signs, and wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. Before I go on, I know I've got to end here for just a little addendum to the message that I was going to do. This kind of stuff jacks me, man. I love this stuff. Here's the thing. He's bringing on strong delusion. If you're here today and you're going, well, I'm going to wait till all that stuff happens and then I'm going to believe. If you can't believe the risen Christ today, do you really believe that when the world embraces this very charismatic believer or this, not believer, but very charismatic political leader who is doing miraculous signs, miraculous wonders, he has all this power, incredible power, you really think that you have the fortitude and you have the will to overcome that kind of an influence upon uh, uh, upon the earth, the, the rest of the earth? Here's the thing, guys. If you can't handle being a Christian today, make no mistake, if you follow the world today, really, you're going to follow the world then. Jesus is not called man-pleasers. He's called God-pleasers. And so it's in the midst of that, guys, that this lawless one is going to come on the scene with all power, Paul says, with signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Who is perishing? It's those who are embracing his theology or embracing his political prowess, his position of leadership upon the face of this earth. Paul then explains who these people are perishing. He says, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you in here who don't have a relationship with Christ. You've played church, you've gone to church, you've done it to satisfy somebody else. But here's the thing, you've never come to a place in your life where you personally have come face to face with Christ and said, you know what, I am a sinner and I, not based upon any relationship that I have elsewhere with anybody in this room or anything, I myself am a sinner and I stand guilty before you, a holy God. And God, I am hopeless without you becoming a man and dying on a cross as we just took communion. I am hopeless without you dying on a cross and rising again, having your blood shed and rising again three days later for my sin. It's my only hope. It's my only hope for eternity. And if that is garbage to you and that's rubbish to you and you are not willing to go, yeah, I'm not going to be one of those Bible thumpers. I'm not going to be one of those crazy Christians that jump in and just believe everything. I'm just going to believe portions of the scripture the ones that let me continue in my way that I live, the way that I want to live, and, and the one that is appropriate and, and acceptable amongst all my peers and my friends. Jesus doesn't call us to be popular. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. He says, listen, if you are not willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. It's me or not. Choose. He's talking about those that have heard this message over and over and over again because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so you might go, okay, well, that might be me right now, but when that happens, I'm going to be on guard and I'm going to be ready to expose the Antichrist for what he is and I'll die then. I mean, if it means that I'm going to be beheaded, I'll do it then. 
if you can, can, you can convince yourself that that's how strong you will be in that time and you can't be strong today, I think you're sorely mistaken. But, but verse 11 scares me, but should scare the hell out of you. And that is this. Tagged on to what Paul says, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, Paul says, God himself will send them. Who's them? The ones that have heard it over and over and over again to be saved. And they've rejected it because they love this present world more than they ever desired God. If that's you in this room, that's you. He's talking about you here. For this reason, God will send them strong. God will send them, not Satan, not this political power. God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, you might sit there and go, well, that's pretty rough, Pastor Don, that you say that, because how loving is a God like that, that he would allow that to happen? Hey, man, here's all that he's doing. He's just making firm your own conviction of today. If you don't want to spend your life with him today, he's going, you don't want to spend your life with me tomorrow. I'm going to just make you firm in that conviction that you have. I don't want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be what I want to be. I don't care about what God wants me to be. I'm going to be who I want to be. And if all these things happen, well, then I'll concede and I'll do what he wants me to do. That's not who God wants. That's not, that's not, who, who, what God, that's not how God sets anybody up. He wants you to love him because of who he is and because of what he's done for you. Get the cobwebs out of your head, man. Get the world out of your head. Get the, get the popularity and get the, get the desiring to be accepted amongst your peers and your friends and everything out of your head as being the, 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 the drive that gets you up in the morning. Don't let that be your demise. Look at God, at what he's done for you and I. And I just finished with this. Guys, we're at the doors. It can happen today. Go home. Turn on the news. Flip open your phone. Well, we don't really have flip open phones much anymore, but turn on your phone. And start looking at the news. Look over in the Middle East at what's going on and tell me, are we ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're not ready, get ready. Lord, today we come before you. We thank you that you do set out a perfect timepiece in, in your word. And I know that some of this, I know some people really enjoy this kind of talk, but I know that there's others that really could care less about this kind of talk. They just feel that it's scare tactics. Well, if your word is a scare tactic, well then so be it. It's what your word says. Should we teach it without conviction? Should we teach it uh, to say something different than what it says? Or do we just take it at face value and say, well, if this is what it says, either God meant what he said or he didn't. And so it's in that, Lord, that I pray for anybody in here that I've offended today. I pray for anybody in here that I have challenged today and that they are sitting there in their seat right now going, Holy cow, 
I might be one of those guys. I've never fully embraced. I've never fully jumped in with both feet into my relationship with Jesus. I want to be ready. I want to know. And I'm going to go to heaven. I want to know that when all is said and done, popularity isn't going to mean anything. My friends that I'm so hard trying to, to, to impress today, in 10 years, they're not even going to know my name. And why I find myself trying to impress them today is, well, it's just peer pressure, Lord, and it's hard. Help me to see life in reality. Help me to see life in light of eternity. In light of you becoming a man and dying on a cross and raising again three days later, help me to look at the future in that manner. And then, Lord, help me to make the proper choice even at this moment. Lord, I come to you and I thank you, God, that you died for me. I thank you, God, that you you saw my sin and and you saw my indifference even all the way into October of 2015. I still have been so indifferent. I walked in here indifferent. But right now, God, I see. I don't want to be indifferent anymore. I don't want to be indifferent anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to just bypass your word or, or put aside your word or dismiss what your word says is happening in the end because frankly I'm a little concerned also in the way that the world is shaping up and I know we can only handle this for just a short time continuing to go down this road before our nation begins to implode as it already has gone on that slippery slope and then what? Life will be radically different in 10 years than it is right now But Lord, should you call me home today, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Forgive me, Lord, of my indifference. Forgive me, Lord, of my playing church, playing Christianity, playing religion. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to come to you openly and honestly and say, God, I I need you. I am personally taking responsibility for my sin and my actions and for my indifference and for my lackadaisical attitude as it comes to these future things. Help me, Lord, to know better from this day forward. Help me, Lord, to live for you. But I can only do that if I completely jump in to your pond with both feet and disregard what the world may say, what my friends may say, what my family might say, what my co-workers might say. Lord, may I live for you and not for others. May I attempt to please you. And right now, that's my, that's my desire. Lord, take my life, my sinful life, my playing this game, this charade that I've been charade that I've been living for so many years. Forgive me, Lord. Take my life. Come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. You are my King. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. 
Forgive me of all of the things that I have heard and have dismissed. Lord, today I receive you and you only, Lord. Not so that others would be happy with me. Not so that others would say, oh, look, what a strong Bible-thumping Christian. Not, I don't want any of that. Lord, I want to just live for you and you alone, regardless of what anybody says. I want to have a relationship with you, God. I want to be ready when you come back for your kids. Or should you take me home before that all happens? Lord, whatever the case may be, I want to be ready. Because of that, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my life. I give everything that I am and ever will be to you at this moment. Come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart and cleanse me clean. Though my sins are as scarlet, you say, those they shall be as white as snow. Lord, make me white. Make me clean. Make me pure. Make me holy. Create, put in my life a brand new heart and a steadfast spirit within me, Lord. I want to live for you. I want to be ready. I want to know that I'm going to be fine with you. And then, Lord, show me the the path to take. It might be radically different from the path I'm on right now, but help me, Lord, to have the courage. Give me the courage. Help me, Lord, in the, the next steps that I'm taking right now in my Christian walk. Help me to care more about what you think than anybody else in this whole world. Help me to be convinced and convicted by that and live my life for the rest of my days for you and you only. And I trust that you will lead me in the way everlasting from this day forward. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. And thank you, Lord, for a a map set out for us to show us to be ready at this time. Lord, I pray we are all ready. Thank you, Lord. Keep our hearts pure and keep our hearts focused on you. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen.